Hello everyone. So there's no phone introduction for this episode with Laura Mercek Sellers. I was unable to reach her in time, and that's going to happen from time to time. Uh, you know, this is season one. Uh, some things are a bit of an experiment. We'll see if we continue with the phone introductions. Maybe we'll do something different for season two. One of the things I would have asked her about was how the show went. Uh, what you'll hear in the episode is she was working on a, a 30th anniversary kind of retrospective on design and type for the Cooper Union. Uh, and it looks like the show, you know, is up and running. It's called 30. It covers 1985 to 2015. And it's at the Herb Lubalin Study Center of Design and Typography through October 3rd. So check it out. All right, let's start the show. Yeah. Oh, is everyone settled in? No. I guess so. Is Kai coming? No. no. Oh, okay. Oh, no. okay. So it's just the two of you. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, I mean, three three co-hosts is okay, but it might be a bit much. Okay. That's wonderful. So what do you want to do with me? <laughs> First, let's introduce you. Okay. <laughs> Hello, Laura Mercy Sellers. Hello, Michael Dalton. How are you today? <laughs> so we're here with Laura, and we're here with a uh, returning co-host, uh, Anibal Peyawu. I'm back. He's back. He's back. Let's see, Laura. You have uh, you have been teaching, right? For You're... years. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, where are you teaching right now, or where was the last uh, teaching gig you had? Oh, it was here at Fordham. That's where we're recording today, and at Columbia University. Um, this semester, I'm not teaching. We're so involved in um, conferences and exhibitions at Who, Cooper who's Union. Who's we? We, the people at Cooper Union. Oh, we've been planning for an exhibit there. And um, as the archive coordinator, I handle a lot of the procurement and organizational stuff. And so that's been such a busy thing and non-photography related, unfortunately. But um, oh, it's not photography related. It's not. So no, it's what graphic, kind of archive. Is it's, it? it's a graphic design archive. So we get a lot of typographers, graphic mm -hmm. designers, people who are interested in in fonts and in specimen books and all the particulars of, of what design brings. And so we get a lot of those folks there. Sure. People go kind of crazy over fonts, don't they? And like they, they really love fonts. They get very specific about what they love too. Yes. Just um, when, when we're done, if you remind me, I'll show you the library that we have Here at of, of just books about Type and font. Sure. Uh, it's a it's a it's a huge field, a very interesting field. We have uh, a couple of people teaching here who have designed their own fonts. Um, Paul Shaw taught mm -hmm. here, who mm -hmm. you've worked with at Cooper. Does he's still at Cooper, right? He's he no, he's not at Cooper as an instructor, but he does come visit us quite a bit. Yeah, because he uses you guys as a resource. Sure. And we can thank him for a lot of materials that he's yeah, donated because sure. he's dropped off a lot of great resources for us. So. Yeah, but he's, he's yeah, very well-known um, historian of typography mm -hmm. and all kinds of things. Very interesting mm -hmm. character. Just recently worked on a book about type in the subways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the book was the specialty was about type and the kind of type used in the New York City subways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there, there's, um, I think, the, the Subway History Museum has different samples of different signs with different fonts that they've done over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and people who are into type are very fascinated with the idea that Massimo Vignelli was involved in the beginning mm -hmm. of them having a unified structure within mm -hmm. the subway system. And so people come to see the, the spec book that we have of mm -hmm. Vignelli's from the MTA. Okay. So that's kind of an exciting now, when thing. But is, it's not photography. It's not photography. <laughs> but when is the show supposed to happen? Uh, the show opens on September 10th. Oh, it's so soon. It's the public very soon. Wow. And You've been yes, working on this for a long time. It's our 30... Well, yes, sort of. It's, yeah. it's our 30th anniversary. So it's been a work in progress for a long time. We had right. a, a very successful conference in June um, that was part of Type at Cooper and brought in people from all over the world. We were meeting people from Europe and Japan and just everywhere and it was a, it was an exciting event so we're hoping that the turnout for the opening will be as exciting too and what's the name of the the exhibition it's called 30 oh it's for well, our there 30 you go. years yeah <laughs> yeah now now uh, what came first photography or uh, fonts for you for me yes <laughs> well um, well, you well, got you got I, your BFA at Cooper. Right? I, yes, I did. I have I have my bachelor's in fine art at Cooper. Um, we weren't allowed to pick one specific subject. We had to be like Renaissance people and study everything, and that was very helpful and very desirable. I went into Cooper thinking that I would be um, a graphic designer. Um, originally, I didn't plan on going to art school at all. I was supposed to go to St. John's University and study writing. But I was so visually oriented, and um, people kept encouraging me to go to Pratt or SVA or other schools. And um, my, I had a, an awful guidance counselor in high school <laughs> who kept reminding me that I both didn't have the tuition to go to those schools, nice. and I probably wouldn't get in because I would be outnumbered by people. Wow. But my, mine told me to be a lawyer. So. Oh, well, that's, at least he had you aspiring to yeah. something. Mine didn't even have that. I don't know if I mentioned this. I, my, uh, my guidance counselor suggested I go into engineering, but my math teacher, who I loved, a senior math teacher, Mr. Paul Antonio, suggested that I stick with photography. He said, huh. engineers are so boring. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> Sorry to my colleagues. Uh, <laughs> no. Mercer. And, and my family, mostly engineers. That's right. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> Fortunately, I had a wonderful art teacher mm. who felt that I, I had the strongest portfolio of anybody at the school at the time. I won the art award in my high school, so she really helped, you know, pro propel me forward. As did my parents. My father was um, an insurance person; he was a, a loss control specialist, and so he knew about Cooper Union because he inspected the building. Interesting. So he found out that, hey, there's a, a thing that my daughter could go to, and it's tuition-free, and why the heck doesn't she apply? And mold-free, so, too, right? Yeah, so <laughs> I ended up going there on the, on, I, I told my parents, well, in six months' time, if I don't like it here, I don't want to go. I want to go to St. John's and be a writer. And uh, I thought that was sort of the only option open for me. Hmm. And then I got into Cooper, and it was like... Uh, a rush to, to meet a challenge that I didn't really know existed. And so from the first day at Cooper on, I was thrilled to be there. It That's was great. just a great experience. I mean, so. it, 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 was, um, it was a horrible way that you got there with the guidance counselor and all, but it, yeah. it, it worked out. What, what did your mother think of, um, of you going to art school? She was happy about it. I'm, I think my parents always knew how much I loved to draw and paint, and, and they always nurtured that. So they were... They were happy that I could potentially be in a place that would 
give me some guidance and maybe show me a way to learn things that I was I was dying to know because I I really I wasn't a person who grew up around artists I mean it was an alien thing in our family people sewed they cooked they did different crafts but no one aspired to be an artist in my family so it was a weird thing did did your mother work or was she stayed home my mom worked um when my brother got to high school before then she was a stay-at-home mom and she was a great one she was wonderful at it that was hard work enough. And she juggled two very high-maintenance um, gr- mothers. So her mother and her mother-in-law, they gave her a run for her money. <laughs> oh, so, <boy. laughs> yeah, she had a lot of work in the family. Do you have siblings? I do. I have one brother who's younger and lives in California. And he's an engineer. So <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> no, he likes his work. He, he went in for mechanical engineering and ended up um, in a variety of different medical fields over the years. So it translates. If you know how one structure functions, usually you can, you can connect it to other Figure types of structures, others, yeah. even if they're biological. When you got into Cooper at that point, were you doing photography already? Was it something that you... I was. You were, okay. I was. I, 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 okay, so in the beginning, a priest taught me photography, and what? my father did as well. So I learned from... A priest, Father Creel was his name. I don't mm. know what year he passed away, but I'm sure he's not at Christ the King Regional <laughs> High School anymore. Okay. Um, but 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 he was there. He taught me um, the basics of the darkroom. I already knew camera basics because my dad had begun to become a wedding photographer on weekends before mm. I was born. And then once I was born, it that was that was it. Um, that didn't really continue. Um, so my dad taught me the basics. I still use one of the cameras that he used. I have a Mamiya C330 that I love. Oh, and camera. yeah, it's wonderful. And, and I still continue to, to work that with that. Is that the one you did the, uh, the girls basketball, the girls basketball project, project yes. at, at Columbia? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. Wow. It's a great I know camera. That. Yeah. yeah. How would people see any photographs you've taken? Because <laughs> you don't have you a have website, to to me. I know. I have no real online presence. <laughs> there is just, there's, there's me listed as, um, as archive coordinator at Cooper Union right now. And there's, I saw that. Well, that's good. There's something. There's a video of you. There's a video of me yes. that I, I needed a stylist. I still do, which is why we're doing this without pictures. Um, we we um, at uh, Joy of Giving Something... Uh, they were doing a, a, a video series about people who had careers in photography. And mm. so they asked me to participate because I think I was the only link to anybody in governmental photography that they knew of. We're, and so We'll get to that when you're yeah, a forensic because, photographer. Yeah. But I don't want to get too far ahead because I'm still interested in the priest teaching you photography. Yeah. Was he the photography teacher at the school? He was a priest serving, but he I think he helped with your book. He helped with a lot of creative things mm. within the school. Um, and he had a little dark room right near the cafeteria. The high school I went to was huge. It had four floors that were active for classrooms and then the basement, which was cafeteria. And there was one little room that couldn't have been bigger than maybe, I don't know, six feet by five feet. And he held little classes so that you could learn how to use a camera, um, and, and develop your own film and make RC prints. Nice. So that's where I began printing. Um, it was very occasionally, though. It wasn't right. like I was in there every week printing. Um, but then when I got to Cooper, we had to take um, methods and materials classes, 
which were introductions to each media that we were expected to use or, or that they anticipated us being interested in at Cooper. And so photography was one of those. So I was itching to get into the dark room when I first got there and, and spend time there. But the course load is so big when you mm -hmm. go in as a freshman mm -hmm. that a lot of my time was taken up. I couldn't spend as much time as I'd wanted to. But I didn't go into graphic design in part because in 1987, when I started at Cooper, the computers were introduced. Macintosh huh. came in. And I loved to draw. And right. I, had, I had a teacher who was a disaster of a drawing teacher for me once I got to Cooper. I won't name names, but um, he turned me off to drawing. So I ended up turning into somebody who channeled her drawing skills into mechanicals and mm -hmm. comps. Mm -hmm. So I took the graphic design stuff that I was interested in and the basic things that I was learning in design classes and, and put that into whatever mechanicals I was making hmm. and drew a lot more because I was trying to communicate something with words. Right, right. Um, I ended up not following through in the graphic design end of things because I was also really young and I was never given free reign of the world until I got to college. Ah. And having a camera and the excuse to talk to people was more of a reason for me to want to do work and, and be really engaged in it. Right. And so I went out into the world with the camera and came back and happily worked in the dark room with the running water and the quiet. And mm. I was thrilled to be able to do that as mm -hmm. a young person. Were you shy in high school? I was deathly shy in high school. It's still <laughs> amazing to me that I can even sit here and talk to the both of you like this or to get up in front of classrooms full of people and speak. Or now I speak at church as a lector, so I get up in front of congregations and speak. That would have been unthinkable. I would have been sick to my yeah. stomach. So Yeah, yeah Neville and I both had a conversation where we talked about the camera as a tool for you know, being able to speak to people, being able, in our case, it was to talk to girls, but yeah. it was being able to speak to people. Yes. Can't, I can't match that, sorry. <laughs> but I did get a lot of attention from men who were very interested in the camera, the and camera. sadly, it was more often the camera than me. But that's how it goes. So, yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Queens. I was, that's where your high school was? That's where my high school was. Yeah, Queens and I have had a long relationship. <laughs> well, you're still in Queens. I'm still in Queens. Yeah. I came to Manhattan for a while. I tried. Yeah, I lived yeah, in Manhattan. Yeah. I lived in Manhattan as a student for two years. And then after high school, um, after, not high school, after college, I'm sorry. After college, I lived there for two years with a roommate as well. But I, there was just something about the constant activity that made me a little crazy and i i just wanted some quiet every now and then and queens can be quiet, quiet sure yeah so yeah well it's it's, it's funny you say that because today walking down from uh walking up from port authority to fordham i realized when i got here that the whole way there had been construction noise yeah like there was in a block where there wasn't some construction going on i was like how do how would people live here it's mm -hmm. It's impossible. It's like it's constant noise. But I guess you just close your window. I don't know. Um, ambient after a while. I yeah. guess so. But it was jarring for me, you know. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the one thing about um, move. I've moved a little farther away. You know, I, I was in Jersey City for a number of years. Now I'm in Rutherford. And mm -hmm. the, the level of noise, the difference, just in sirens alone, it, yeah. it actually takes Dramatic. some getting used to. Yeah. 
what? So you you graduate with a, a bachelor's of fine art, Cooper. Right. Yes. And you was you it gra- like a concentration in photography or we we used to use the word specialization, specialization. because we okay. couldn't claim that we graduated with a degree in whatever medium we we right. wanted to really right. Right. heavily lean into while right. we were there. So we just called it a specialization. Mm-hmm. It was nothing that the school vetted as a term, but mm-hmm. you know I took every photography class I could. I took. Tom Roma's class, I don't know how many times, is an advanced photography course because there was nobody else that I wanted so to take So you would just repeat point. the class? Yes, they oh. allowed that in those years. Wow. Yeah. So what kind of work were you doing back then? Uh, mostly portraiture and um, documentary type of stuff. I, I had in my mind, I had at one point that I'd love to be a photojournalist. You know, I my, my hero was always, throughout college, Henry Cartier-Bresson. Mm-hmm. So that was the first photography book I ever remember cracking open. And so I thought that was the way to live a life in mm-hmm. photography. Mm-hmm. The second photography book was Robert Frank. And both of those were by accident in the Cooper Library. I remember the day I first opened each of those books. And it's, it's a, it was very weird. It was like a direction suddenly mm-hmm. for me. But I don't have the stomach to go to places where war is going on. I've looked at enough wartime pictures to understand that I, I couldn't react the way a photojournalist would. So I knew pretty early on that that was not a life that I could follow through on. Hmm. So, and I, I imagine there wasn't... There wasn't. There weren't a, a whole lot of people there who, that were doing that at Cooper. Right? There were people who aspired to it. Yes, oh, there. Wow. There were at least two male photographers who very much wanted to be part of that that lifestyle. I, I part of the faculty, or no, no, students, um, students, students uh-huh. who were a, a year older than I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but were there, were there was there a faculty member there that you could go to and and. Who, who was interested no, in that or teach not that? not really. Or, that, it was much, very much in the documentary tradition. And right. then we had, one, we had one faculty member who was very much into abstract photography, where he was taking pictures of triangles. And, hmm. you know, he, he was term, terming them in a certain way and, and processing them so that the end result of the picture was very much about the post-production part and not so much about the picture taking. What was in the picture, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've had uh, conversations already about, um, you know, the kind of critique Thomas Roma did at the School of Visual Arts. And he, I believe he was teaching at Cooper at the same time he was teaching at SVA, right? He was. I heard about all of you long before I ever met you. (laughs) Oh, really? What were your critiques like? Our critiques were very intense. I mean, I, as someone who, as you mentioned before, was was shy, going into his critique was like being um, just blasted out of a hole or something <laughs> it was it was the it was the strangest way thing it. <laughs> it was like being blindsided really um the teachers at cooper uh, some of them uh the, especially the ones who were used to dealing with the incoming students they were uh, they were pretty gentle with us uh-huh. in retrospect and the idea was to engage us in the kind of work that we should be seriously focused on and they were mild-mannered uh-huh. Um, Tom came in like blazes, and um, he was an incredible force in the program. It was great to have him as an instructor. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I don't know who I would have gone to. I mean, the the, the program has a good director, Christine Osinski. She was very encouraging early on, and in the beginning, I needed that. But by the time I became a junior, I wanted somebody who would just show me the world that I was interested in, and Tom did that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm grateful for that. Now, you didn't go directly from undergraduate to graduate. No, no. I had a buffer there. 
You don't really want to hear that whole story again. Well, do you? I mean, no, but I mean, why you, not? Oh, you, oh, okay, well, I you went were working for a while. I was desperately working. I wanted to be able to pay my rent, right? And I wanted to be able to do projects and do work right. and have friends and be a part of a world that I was trying to figure out. Let's see. After Cooper, I got hired right out of Cooper by Gary Schneider. Okay. He's a printer and photographer. Right. He used to have an office right near the Village Voice building. Mm-hmm. So he and his partner, John Erdman, had a fine art printing facility there. And he was, Gary was one of my teachers at Cooper. Christine Osinski brought in terrific people to teach. Mm-hmm. And Gary was one of them. And as a fine he, art printer... But I'm sorry, he, his work is very different than what you were interested in. It was very different, but he is very open-minded. He wants to make the best looking thing he possibly can out of whatever comes through his hands. Hmm. So as somebody who, he's a perfectionist, who who really appreciates what a negative is Uh and really loves to look at pictures, it was such a pleasure having him as as an instructor because I could bring him a negative that I printed already for Tom's class and I, I would have made a good print of it, but he showed me how to refine it. And then he showed me how to, without going through days and days and days of making reprints, he showed me very efficiently how to make a museum quality picture, like the best print version of the thing Mm -hmm. that I had. And that was a great way of learning for me. So when I got out of Cooper, he hired me to be someone who would, um, who would be a rough printer and contact printer. And there was someone who acted as, um, I don't remember his title specifically, but there were, there were two Walters. So there was Wally and Walter. And I had a, I had a room, a dark room of my own in his facility right. between those two guys. And then Gary had his own giant dark room at the end of the hall. But um, the, Walter did all of the film processing, every format you could think of, any type of film, black and white, that you could think of. Walter processed. And then Wally, um, Wally did all the rough and final prints. And, you know, I learned a lot from both of them. About so it was, it was kind of like a, a Lamont type of place where you, you go, people came to him, mm-hmm. to Gary's place, and they would, you know, request some kind of a print for an exhibition. So you were, you were looking at pictures from other people, other photographers. Lots of them. Lots of pictures. Yeah, okay. lots and lots of pictures. Stuff from the New York Times, hmm. stuff. I saw Richard Avedon pictures come through sometimes um there were there were a grouping of um beetle pictures that gary printed i don't remember the photographer but they were big portraits of all the beetles on Mm. the wall and they were amazing so so there was a lot of archive work there was a there was a well there was a lot of active work too there were photographers who came to him right off of a shoot dropped off their film Hmm. we ran the film i proofed the film and did some of the rough prints and then they would decide whether they they needed a final print or if their roughs were good enough to go to press with because in Hmm. those days they were still doing some print related stuff right right and newspapers and magazines it wasn't all digital or so digitally heavy heavy the way it is today how long were you there i was there let's see i was there for about a year maybe a year and a half I could, I'd have to look at my CV to give you specific <laughs> dates, but I know when I was there, I was 21. I just turned 21 that December, and I had, I had been hired, worked through to November, work slowed down for their studio, and I got laid off. And I remember, mm. I feel terrible about it now, Gary, but um, I, I felt <laughs> terrible about being so upset 
regarding being laid off because I'd never been laid off before. This was right. my first real job that wasn't school related. Right. And I, it was so humiliating to me to have to leave work. And it wasn't because of job performance. It was just purely because the work wasn't there. Things were slowing down. Things were slowing down. Yeah. I worked at Barnes and Noble because I had to make money. Sure. And then after that, the managers at Barnes and Noble had just convinced their head people that I should stay on as a permanent person and I got a call from Gary Snyder. Gary said, no, "Well, no, we 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 need to hire you back because work is coming in again." And they hired me back and mm-hmm. I worked for him for a while. So I got to know that kind of business and it, it was a lot of fun. I got sure. to see pictures of people like Mariah Carey and um oh, the woman from Hole. Um what is her name? She was married to Kurt Cobain. Oh. Oh. Frances Bean is her daughter. Um, what is her name? I can't think of it. Oh, this is terrible. I it's can't awful, and I can picture her. Love, Courtney Love. Courtney, Courtney, Courtney I saw Love. a picture yeah. of her before I even knew who she was. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was it was great. And when I saw it, her in print, I thought, oh, my gosh, I, I know her. Yeah, you know that person. <laughs> so it's terrific. Do you think looking at all that work influenced you? Did you, did you see other photographers that you think influenced your work? Yes and no. I think I think for me it was a treat to be able to see something new every time I went in the dark room and see different styles and even different ways of approaching a subject, approaching people. Because I have my own way, I have my own tendencies of how I I photograph someone and I saw a lot of different ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. Some of them more engaged than the way I work or and some of them more detached and the detached ones I never really liked looking at for very mm-hmm. long. So I could see the difference pretty quickly. Um, it was an experience. D- detached, though. you mean like a, a lack of intimacy? Or? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where where the subject was more like an object. Right. And, you know, you could feel that the photographer either didn't have the time to take and sit with the person they were photographing, or else maybe they just didn't know how to tap into that person. And it showed in some pictures. Sure, sure. So I saw a huge variety of work there. Mm-hmm. Were you still making... What, did you have time to make work during I that did. time? I yeah. did. Amazingly, I did. Wow. I still can't believe... I used to get so much done. I would work for Gary, and then sometimes... Um, I, I, at the time, I was also um, overlapping work as a part-time photo technician at Cooper, because I got hired back by Cooper later, too. Okay. Um, and I started going to the darkroom at night. So I would finish up at Gary's. And then go to go another, to another darkroom. Dark oh do some of my own work. Right. And then go home to Avenue A. Okay. So, <laughs> did you stay at this job? Did it lead up to graduate school? Yes and no. I mean, I I, I tried to stay in photography and and stay in that world desperately at all times. So it was it was a piece of that. I guess it was it was part of the path to graduate school, but it it wasn't the thing. Like I I think working for Gary and then also working at Cooper Union and seeing what people who were just trying to figure it out were doing really made me want to go seek out people who could um, who could either guide me or show me what they did that really excited them or I wanted to tap into something deeper and I started looking for graduate schools and I had applied to Yale I mean the only place that I knew to go to was was Yale that was the place and I didn't end up going there right that's (laughs) a big long story but But you were the actually the first 
photography class at Columbia University. You were part of the first photography yes, class. Yes, yeah. I was. Yeah. yeah. Tom Roma told me that he was thinking of setting up a program, and I knew a little bit in advance that it could happen. Nothing was firm when I first heard about mm-hmm. it, but he told me that if I was open to still going to graduate school, because by that time I had decided not to go the Yale path, mm-hmm. um, that I could, you know, I, I he would want me there, and would I be willing to go? Now, and can I ask why not Yale? Why not Yale? Well, Yale, I, when I went there, I just didn't have a good feeling about the program. It felt too flashy for me. It felt, hmm. it, it, it just, it felt wrong. No. I went on the interview. I don't sense that they liked me either very what, much. What year are we talking about? This was, what, 90, I went to Columbia in 96. I think it was 94. So that's at the height of the Yale 90, program, right? It was, yeah. Like Pretty the Yale much. program was the place to go. Um, yeah, and I those. wasn't at the height of anything. Yeah. I mean, I went on the interview. I remember, I remember going there with my my roommate, who um, she wanted to go into the graphic design program. She ended up being a graphic designer out of Cooper. Uh-huh. Um, so she thought maybe grad school would be good right about now, and she um, she went to check out graphic design, not thinking she would actually go there, just right. to sort of investigate a little. I was fully convinced that Yale was the place for me, and I went there, and I thought, mm, no. no. And then they lost my portfolio, and they finally waitlisted me, and I finally got an apology for the portfolio thing, and that was a long, drawn-out saga. Um, but... In the end, I felt like, well, they're not offering me any financial help, mm-hmm. and I don't really want to locate to New ha- relocate to New Haven. Right. And so I thought, maybe this isn't it. Mm. So I waited. And I looked for other programs, too, but I like New York. I just, I, I'm, I, I yeah. visited other places, but this, even though it's never been a perfect fit, New York is still the place I think I'm supposed to be in. Mm. So at that time too, I thought, well, I need to be here to make work. And so I stayed. So when Tom talked about Columbia, that was great. Yeah. But I was part of the first class and that was exciting. It felt like we were building something. Oh yeah, you were. You actually were. There there was a dark room. There wasn't. There wasn't even a dark room. You remember? Dark, no. There was a you were space working, you for were a dark at a, room. Trailers too, we weren't were, you? Yes, on College Walk. Yeah, right. yeah. There was nothing there. there Preston Rosigno and I. Um, yeah. We met each other for the first time at a gallery show. I already oh. knew you, Anibal. I yes. think I had just met you, Michael. Um, Probably through Tom. Through Tom. Oh, yeah. Of course, all of you I knew through Tom. I had heard about all of you <laughs> for for two years at Cooper Union. Wow. I mean, he used to talk about the SVA students, and he used to pit us against you, <laughs> because that's how Tom is. And we kind of rose to the occasion. He would tell us, the SVA students just do better than you guys, you know. And that would tick us off, because here we were, people in a scholarship school feeling like, well, you know, we were picked to be part of this you know, school for a certain reason. Even, even at Columbia, Tom used to tell us that if he ever needed anyone in his corner, he'd call on you, Laura. He, yeah. He would, he got, you, guys, you guys would just curl up in a corner and I was, you know, crying a puddle, but I, if I need, ever really needed anyone to defend me, it'd be Laura. Yeah, yeah, like, well, she, she, uh, he, he, I think he once actually said you'd take a bullet for him. Oh, yes, I would, probably, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Let's not test that. No, let's not. Let's yeah. Just, yeah. That was before I had a child, too, so, oh, you know. I'm, Wait, did you, um, when did you meet your husband, Tom? Was that before or after Columbia? 
That was before Columbia. That was in uh, 19... Just before. Yeah, 93. Yeah. Right. yeah. And then we, we got married. I never recommend this to anybody, but never get married right before you go into graduate, graduate school. school. It's not fair for the other person. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah. It's like, it's like um, standing on a dock and putting your feet into two different boats yeah. and seeing which way the boats will go. Because it really is a commitment. If you're going to get anything out of grad school, it really is a commitment. And if you're going to get something out of marriage, you it's have to really be It really is a commitment. It's yeah. very tricky. It's very what tricky. were those conversations like? Which with the husband Tom yes. or with the with mentor <laughs> Tom? With your husband Tom. <laughs> <laughs> with my husband Tom, it was we we loved each other and we we knew we would get married. But when Tom Roma told me that Columbia could become a real thing, right. I didn't know it was going to happen so quickly. And so we, I had a very rational engagement where mm. I there was none of this romantic, you know we're getting married tra la la there was none of that it was like okay we need to get married i'm going to graduate school what's going to happen next right, and where right. are we going to live right. so it was it was very practical so it all happened very fast in february of 96 i got engaged we got engaged tom and i and then um in in uh August of 96, I found myself in, in trailers with Preston Resigno putting together enlargers. So, yeah. But where was, there was no darkroom. There was, there was a space for a darkroom, and there was some countertops and some lighting, so but it was, was still being constructed. Still being but when Tom started talking about um, building a darkroom with Alan Hacklin and the funding came right. for that. Alan Hacklin was the chair of the program at the at time. That time. Yes, yeah. he was. And um, when they started having those discussions, they carved out a space for right. the darkroom. No, because when we got there, it was all up and running. I mean, we, it we was pretty, it. It was yeah, pretty it was set running. up. We, we, I think we helped rebuild or build the graduate darkrooms. Yes, we were involved mm-hmm. in that process. There were the, the independent graduate darkrooms. Mm-hmm. And also right. dealing with the d- color darkrooms in Watson. Right. Yeah, we, we maintained we the color darkrooms. Right. Yeah, we were involved with that. You didn't have that. We had none of that. No. no, we, when I came in, I think there were, there were 16 of us. I want to say as as graduate students right. in not, my not year. In, not in the photography area, but just no. the whole the whole program was sixteen students. Right, Preston yeah. and I were the two photography students. Right, it and was it was very it, small. It was very small, and it it wasn't easy because right. we spent a lot of time talking about photography and its role in art and yeah. making a stand for photography. Right, right, right. So it it wasn't easy in the beginning, and the dark rooms that we had had just what we needed mm-hmm. to be able to function as graduate students and what classes needed too. I mean, I remember going with a car. I don't remember whose car it was, but we went with somebody's car, probably Tom's, up to 125th Street in Harlem to get glass for the darkroom contact prints. For the contact prints. So, and I remember talking to the vendor on the phone going, are you going to make sure the glass is either ground or beveled because we (laughs) don't want anybody's fingers cut. You know, I had all these kinds of discussions so that everyone would have the supplies they needed. We dealt very heavily with ITSIC at K&M Camera. They Mm -hmm. supplied a lot of equipment. Sure. Yeah. We, we were there when nothing was really fully established yet. Now, the program then, was it considered already um, um, interdisciplinary? That, that word yes. been introduced? So it, it, it was already created. Now, was, was there a program before? There was a, an MFA program at Columbia that had 
been shut years down. Years ago, been shut yes. Down. And then it restarted, but it didn't. There was no photography was no when photography. it had restarted. Right. right. There was printmaking and there was right. painting originally. Dorothy Cochran, who Anibal and I both worked both with work up with, at sure. the Interchurch Center. Oh, she, yeah. I, I, you, yeah. t- you worked there as well. Christmas tree lights. Oh yeah, up that's there. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she uh, <laughs> at the God Box. That's, right. yeah. that's what the building is known as, the God Box. Yeah. Yeah, she um, she was part of one of those Columbia classes. Oh, and wow. uh, I, I think, I can't give you dates, but I think it shut down somewhere in the late 70s, maybe the early 80s. Yeah, that as, sounds right, yeah. Yeah, and then I remember when I was a photo tech at Cooper, sometime before I applied to Yale, I was, in those days, we the internet was still new, right? right? I was cold calling around to all the New York City universities to see who had graduate programs. Huh in photography, like uh-huh. I wanted a photography program. And I remember calling NYU, I called Columbia. They told me if I wanted to put a um, application in for their writing program, I could do that and maybe somehow work photography into that into on my own. Huh. But I thought, no, that's not quite exactly what I want. Right. So, you know, the, that was that was before I applied to Yale. So that would have been like 92, 93. Yeah, it's still before the MFA in photography um, hadn't reached that pinnacle, that peak of you know, interest where there was all these, all of a sudden there were all these MFA programs in photography. There weren't there any. Weren't. There was, you went to Yale. Right. Uh, I don't think NYU had one. I don't think, um, no. I don't know if Pratt had one. I don't think so. I don't think Pratt had one. SVA had. No, some, SVA, no, SVA, no, SVA, SVA did not right, have, yeah, they, they had not started that yet. Yeah. That started later. So it was a very interesting time because people, there was an interest, obviously. Yes. There was a lot of people coming out of Yale, many of them creating that, sort of, oh, wait a minute, there's an MFA in photography kind of, yes. where can I go? Oh, there's no place to go. Right. But it, the turnaround was fairly quick. I mean, within five years after that, I would think that there were programs everywhere. It felt that way. Yeah. Didn't, yeah. Charlie Traub didn't start the photo MFA program at SVA before that? I no, don't think so. No, I think you're right. Yeah, well, we you know, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll look it up. It could have been about the same time. And it, was, or, it yeah. wasn't even a photography MFA. It was a, a photography and related media. That's right. Yeah. Oh, so it, yeah. it already was incorporating the idea of video in it. And, uh, you know, so it was a very different program that he started there. Right. Um, yeah. But the but the interdisciplinary and tongue tied interdisciplinary <laughs> part of things that word didn't start getting used right, right. away. It was at Columbia interdisciplinary in right. that you could do painting and collage, and you could do printmaking and right. sculpture. Like you could you could play with different things, but mm. at the same time. Um, uh, you know, uh, if you were too much of a purist, too, that was not so Well, I admired. remember going there, yes, sitting in one day when Michael Spano was giving a talk. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, all the, all the grad students were there. But when it came time to have critique, mm-hmm. it was only, I think, the two photographers who mm-hmm. actually wanted to meet with him. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they, and I remember sitting in on your critique with Michael. I'm sorry. With, no, no, it was, <laughs> I thought it was incredible because it was one of those things where I witnessed someone uh, who I admired and who um, was very good in terms of, speaking as a photographer there was no yes. uh the talk was about photography the idea of you know this tool how it works what it's trying i remember that his advice was really good michael was great he was great yeah. but i remember that only the photographer signed up to speak to him nobody else seemed to be that interested that was pretty typical though yeah. back then yeah. i mean i my classmates were wonderful I and mean, had good experiences but they were still pretty much niche oriented yes. i do this i don't do that therefore you have nothing to teach me kind of a thing yes yeah. except 
there was a lot of crossover between video and sure. you know and sculpture. And sculpture there was a lot yeah. of you know we're very conceptual about mm -hmm. this and we'll use what we need. Mm -hmm. There were those kinds of ideas floating around, but it wasn't as blended as it is now. As it is now, yeah, much more, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Now, while while at Columbia, I know you worked on a number of different projects, and some of them involve, uh, I believe, one of them involved building a camera. There was a pinhole eight by ten. Yes. So I, I was curious about um, how that kind of approach to photography—the need to uh, build a camera to do something specific, or um, the kind of subject matter that you were pursuing—how was it connected to the technology that you were using? Because at that time, Columbia was completely analog. Not not that it's much digital now, but um, there's there's a possibility for digital, and you didn't even have color facilities. Wait, we had digital at Columbia. Well, you did, but it we wasn't did. part of the photography. It, it was, was it? in the beginning, yeah, the second semester of my first year. Is this year. when Tom started that digital lab? Yes, that's yeah. when, yeah. The he started digital the digital media lab. And I know and that, yeah, I'm sorry, that Preston, um, who was there, was the it was the first one that I knew was using a digital camera, like a two megapixel digital camera. On his own. I was using on his one own. too. They gave both of us the Ricos. one of those. Yeah, the old Ricos, I think. They were Kodak. Oh, maybe oh really? they were Ricoh. I don't know. I don't remember. They were they they were the closest thing to uh, like a, a, a 110 camera because yeah. they were the really funny shape. Yeah, right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Um, We did use those. And, and you know, we, we might have even used them the very first semester because Tom, as we went in as, as students, um, contacted a project up in the Bronx that was a um, was like an outreach program mm -hmm. for people who had either been homeless or who had been um, incarcerated and and let out and and were looking for some direction. There were people who were struggling in in life, and I wish I could remember the name of the program. I I, if I do, I'll, I'll let you know. But um, they basically acted as um, stability and as housing for a lot of these people. The population up there was primarily male, but they also had in the same building, which if I remember correctly, it was an old public school that had been converted so that uh, living quarters could be kept in the same space. Um, the majority of the population um, that had housing was male, but then they also had high schoolers coming in, um, and they were kids who were difficult to teach and um, had come from bad living environments, um, and they were helping them get a leg up by teaching them different trades, by having high school classes, <clears throat> excuse me, in the same facility, um, and Preston and I went up there and photographed quite a bit, actually. That first semester, but we you were photographed. photographing in terms of documenting yes. what was happening. Really? Yeah, and I did a lot of portraiture. I got really close to some of the kids and started photographing them. I don't know. I remember. Do you remember a few years ago when I brought you those zip drives and said, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, some of those pictures were on there, I believe. I have to look through them again. But we had pictures from that facility. And they had a garden out back where they would grow vegetables, and, and they had a um, kind of olive oil processing thing going on where they were making these very luxurious-looking um, 
products that they could sell and bring in money as fundraising. So, so you were shooting digitally, storing on zip disks? Yes. And, yeah. you, and you brought those to Anibal because he had a zip drive? I brought them to it. No, <laughs> no because I, I, I had... didn't. And this was like years later, and I realized when I opened a box at home one day, I thought, why do I have all these zip disks? No, but many, many, many years later, because <laughs> when you brought later. them to me, it was maybe three years ago? Not even. Like Not even? Two and a half. And I had two, to, two, like... I had he to had go in through like the the the, elect- the, uh, the technical dumpster at Fordham and find <laughs> find pieces for a zip drive and I created this kind of a Frankenstein machine to be able to and I got the it files works. off yeah um, but and then I don't know what I did with that thing but um, it was like the end of the zip file yeah yeah seriously I had pictures from from that project um, and Preston and I went up there multiple times and then I I had planned to keep going back but after a while I got pulled by other things and I had so many responsibilities as a graduate student there I I basically ended up TAing all the classes in the beginning so it was it was a lot not that there were so many classes but I I TA'd a lot while I was there because one of my reasons for even going to graduate school was so that I could teach because I repeatedly got the same excuse when I was applying for jobs at that in that time period in 94 and 95 was that, yes, you have hands-on experience. You're a full-time phototech at Cooper Union. We see that technically you're knowledgeable, but you don't have a degree. And there are people coming out of Yale with degrees. So I was very bitter about that. And I was like, well, hell, I'm getting a degree too. <laughs> so um, that was a way for me to be able to teach. So that was I, my, my same experience. I, like I got tired of, of going to people and saying hey, the same thing. You have experience. Like, we like your work. Mm-hmm. However, you don't have a master's. And I was right. Like, okay. And that was one of the reasons I also applied to the Columbia program. Yeah. And it was it was great for that one. I was there because I really wanted to know how to teach and I got to see how different people did it. And I yeah. learned that I'm somewhere in the middle. Like I I I want to know my students. I want to know my class. There were people that I TA'd for who I'd go, you don't, you're just kind of here. Why are you here again? <laughs> like it is just and it and that's not just photography. I you know, it was other classes too, because as a grad student, we were required to, um, over the course of the four semesters that I was there, cover other classes as well. Oh, you were a TA for other studio art Yeah, classes. for drawing and for, um, I did uh, ceramics. So my experience with ceramics is pretty minimal. There was a ceramics class? <laughs> there was a where, ceramics where? class up in Prentice Hall. Oh, okay. There was yeah. a sculpture shop and they right. had they had clay and they did ceramics. And I remember doing, um, um, I, 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 the person who was teaching it at the time, whose name was Nancy, I don't remember, recall her last name. She was great. She was very enthusiastic about what she did. Um, and I was supposed to be helping her. And I only knew like high school ceramics where the teacher had already thrown the clay and prepped everything. And I was like, well, what do you want me to do? And she said, well, everything's done. Why don't you just make something? So I remember TAing by, and just going around and talking to the students and talking to them about structure and scale and all of that and helping where I could. But I'd end up making little sculptures. And there was one sculpture I, I recall making, um, and this was my second year because Catherine McVitie was already there. And we used to exchange information about the faculty and about classes we were taking. So I remember coming back to my darkroom at Watson, um, no, sorry, at Dodge Hall, mm. the Dodge Hall darkroom with a little ceramic sculpture of a woman posed with her hands and her chest out and her hands on her hips and like pushing 
her body forward because I was looking at a lot of pregnant women at the time. I was mm. doing a photography project at um, uh, Cornell Medical Center of pregnant women. And so I knew what a woman looked like pregnant, so I just stood in this clay class sculpting little pregnant women. And I came back to the darkroom with one of those statues, and Catherine was like, where'd that come from? And I said, well, I made it. I didn't know what else to do as a TA. I couldn't be helpful, so I sculpted some women. So it's very strange. But yeah, it all kind I, I, I of I didn't connected. know that part of the story. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and what happened to all these photographs uh, that you were making at that time. I mean, it seems like you were involved in a number of projects. That, I mean, I don't know the one about the pregnant women. I'd never seen work from that. I, I'm sure. Uh, well, you can, I can bring that in any time. You can sure, come I over can, and I, see I, it. I can name the projects that I did while I was, it was at Columbia, so you know. Yeah. So the, the, I did the one up at the place in the Bronx that Tom right. connected Preston and I to. Right. And then my first semester there, I as somebody who just got married, I was looking for the type of preparation that you would need for a life change um, in something other than marriage preparation. Because as, as a Catholic, I went through pre-Cana. Oh, yes. I also went right. through annulment counseling because my husband's first marriage had been oh. annulled. This is very personal to be saying in a webcast. But, <laughs> but his first marriage was annulled, and the Catholic Church is very strict about what you need to do. So I had to have extra counseling for all of that. So there was so much procedure involved in all of that that I thought, well, there's other stuff in life that I could see and look at with, you know, with some kind of outcome that was also visible. And pregnancy was the most obvious type mm. of thing. And being of that age, being just married, I thought, well, I want to see what people do about that. So again, it was an excuse to go with the camera and have access to something that as a non-pregnant woman, I wouldn't either need access to or even want access to. In a way. Oh, these yeah. are the pictures of the Le Mans class. Yeah, and stuff? yeah, oh, that stuff. Now. You remember those? Okay. I think be I because don't. you don't have a, a web presence, a website. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I wonder if I'll be able to get maybe some digital copies of these photos. I could post for people to see. I yeah. think we can do that. All right. Yes. Good. All right. Yes. Good. 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 Yeah. Have to do something about that. <laughs> I keep a very low profile. I, I, I think after working for the government, I got a little paranoid about right. everything. And so I stay kind of out of things. Well, that's so. a good segue. Uh, um, so after Columbia, um, you, you must have done some adjunct teaching, I imagine, after Columbia. I did for mm -hmm. a long time. And I worked for an organization called Joy of Giving Something. That right. Howard Stein, the the philanthropist. Oh, is that where and, that came from? Yeah. I, and, but that was, again, thanks to Tom. Mm -hmm. I, I tend to... I tend to double back a lot in life. I meet the right person who kind of connects me to things. Like in photography, it's always been Tom Roma. There have been other people who've helped out a lot too, but Tom seems to be the common thread. Mm -hmm. um, but I double back a lot, so I end up going back to where I've already been, and it's both helpful and very strange. It's like, I don't know, some kind of career reincarnation where I start out one place in one particular role and end up going back and doing something else that's slightly different. But it's, it's also a, a keeping a connection with a mentor, a friend. Right? It is, it is, yeah. and with the other people that I've worked with as well. Right. So Tom, after Columbia, um, I was sort of trying to figure out what I would be doing other than teaching. And I worked in, an, in administrative positions a lot in my lifetime. 
And Tom thought, well, maybe JGS, story of giving something, would be a good fit. And at the time, they were really looking for an intern, but they got a lot more than an intern. And I ended up being like an archive assistant there. Um, And I got to see art that I, I wouldn't see outside of a museum storage room. Like I saw stuff that, and got to handle stuff that was just so incredibly wonderful. And I never thought I'd have access to that. But that archive was so terrific and extensive, carefully selected and and loved that I, I got to see things there that became like it became like an education unto itself. Is JGS still around? It is still around. They just Howard had, Stein passed away. He did, yeah. unfortunately. Um, he was such a great promoter in mm-hmm. in the world of photography for. For fine art photographers mm-hmm. um, and their work, um, he he passed away. But JGS is still around. They did sell off uh, quite a bit of the the more widely known names in the collection in a sale in December this past December. So a lot of the work that uh, like the heavy hitters that that stuff has gone at J's. Some of the at J's and the Negras mm-hmm. are not in the collection anymore. But there's still a lot there. Mm-hmm. So um, you can go on that website. They have a website and see all the wonderful work that's still part of it. So you were doing that and you were teaching. I was doing that and I was teaching um, and I was playing a lot of pool too. <laughs> I was going to ask you, but there was another set of photographs yeah. I remember of the pool players. There were, yeah, because I, was tr- I, I had a project where I wanted to photograph men doing something. Yeah. And I play a lot of pool and mostly in pool there's a lot of men. Mm. There's not a lot of women. <laughs> And I thought, you know, I, I thought it was a way to show what it looked like to feel like you were in command of something. Like when I was a grad student, I, I, got, I got off topic before with the projects at Columbia, but one of the projects I did was basketball, women in basketball. And the thing I was interested in there was that a lot of people do what they know and have such a grace about it and joy in it and it comes out when you start watching them through a camera it just it's there already but I sensitized myself to it and I see these little moments where I thought my gosh where does that exist in the world it's and it's on a basketball court how could that be (laughs) so I was looking at that kind of thing and then later um, so that project was like 97 98 Later in around 2004, 2005, when my husband and I were traveling around a lot and playing pool really actively, I thought, well, I'll see something like that in the men, but the men had a very different presence. And the pictures were very different because I went from working in black and white most of the time to color. I still don't know that I love that, but it worked for that group of photos. In basketball, when I started the the girls project, um, I went into the gymnasium with color film thinking, oh, I'll try that out and see what it looks like. And because of the lighting, those awful, um, I forget what they call them. They're, they're like, sodium yeah, vapor. Sodium sodium vapor. vapor. Yeah, they look right. green, like right? Mercury, they look, mercury vapor, They're disgusting vapor. Yeah, yeah. In, in a certain kind of picture. And yeah. I was getting the green lights overhead with orangey yellow floors everywhere. And the pictures looked awful. Yeah. So after the first couple of rolls of color in that circumstance, I thought, no, I can't do this in color. It just won't work. Hmm. Now with the pool, when I got into the pool room, I tried to shoot in color. It didn't look good. Um, in black and white. So I stuck with the color. The black and white leached out so much of the qualities of of what the game is all about. Like the game of pool is pretty colorful. You have the big green felt. You have the warm lighting overhead. The balls are different colors. Mm. The players wear really wild clothing sometimes or very, very conservative things. Mm. And the black and white 
just it, it took away from that somehow. So mm-hmm. I ended up shooting everything in color and it looked terrific. Hmm. So I stuck with it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I would get this push pull of warm and cool with the, the pool room lighting being really warm. And that if there was any daylight in the place, which that was always a lucky thing. If there was a window, you'd get really cool lighting happening outside. You so. get that crossover shadows to highlights. Yeah. And that's yeah. fun to see in pictures. So it's a vibration kind of thing. So I did that whole project in color and I, I didn't, promote that either because um the guys i was working with they they got so conscious of maybe me making money on it or maybe me putting pictures out and they wouldn't be aware of it that it got a little touchy so i pulled back and i haven't ever published that it's Hmm. just it's they're in boxes did you and your husband tom go in start kind of playing is that how you approach people i um no no, i got permission to actually we did yeah my husband you played as as participants we played in tournament local tournaments mostly he played in one of the national nine ball tournaments just for fun one year but um yeah we knew a lot of people in the sport and um pool has this way of of going away and coming back where there are waves of interest like if there's a movie that comes out like pool hall junkies came out around that time i think and people started getting interested in the sport and then it kind of died down it gets quiet for a little while about every 20 years it seems to come back from what i've heard um so when we were playing there was a real heightened interest in it although i had been playing pool around the same time i started really seriously getting interested in photography because the women in the, the class that I was in with Tom Roma in advanced photography, they were all pool players. Like the majority of them were Chinese and they had their own culture. A lot of, some of them came from Chinatown. They lived down there and they knew all the local pool halls in the city. And so at night after class, we were either drinking or going to play pool. So it became a regular thing in college that I would go play pool with this group of mostly women and we hung out and played pool together. And then later on when I met my husband and I told him when we first started dating, well, I really like pool. Are you interested in doing that? And I I didn't know what his reaction would be. He was all for it. So after that, we just kind of ran with it. So, yeah. I guess what I was asking, um, did you go in and you'd start playing and then you'd start approaching people about photographing or did you keep it separate? Sometimes. um, In the beginning, I would would photograph the people that I knew who were also playing. And then later, when I wanted to get more serious about it and it became a project, I got permission from the governing body of the men's side of the sport. And... um, they gave me access so that they, you know, I would be introduced to somebody who was safe. Like I was okay to photograph. Everything was fine. And yeah. And and it went from there. So yeah. And I gave whatever players I saw when I started to wrap up the project, um, I gave them prints and that was no easy undertaking either. And some of them, I, I didn't know who they were in the end because they, they didn't identify themselves when I was photographing and I had nothing to show who they were. And some of the guys that um, that were at these events, I would I would bring photos to and say, "Who is this person? Can you tell me?" And sometimes they wouldn't know. So there are a lot of people playing pool out there, and not all of them want to be known. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So so where uh, where else were you teaching? You taught at Columbia, and then what other places? I taught at Dutchess Community College for a year, and that was the year after I graduated from Columbia, I believe. Um, 
that that was a, a great thing, except that it was in Poughkeepsie, New York. So I was driving about 77 miles each way to get to class wow. for one semester twice a week, and mm. then the other semester it was just once a week. Yeah. It's and, the life of uh, adjunct teaching. I, I remember when, uh, after Enable and I graduated Columbia, and I was... I, I don't know how many different places you taught it, but I, at, at one point I was, I was asking Anibal at that moment there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't see me pointing. Uh, so <laughs> at one point I was at uh, LaGuardia, Rockland, and Ramapo, mm-hmm. and I would wake up in the morning and have to just think which direction I was going, yeah. east, mm-hmm. north, or west. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, um, you know, I spoke about this before uh, in our podcast, but I was teaching while I was as an adjunct while I was at Columbia, and I was commuting to Hartford, Connecticut. Wow. It was a Peter Pan bus, three hours up, three hours down, and the class was like two and a half hours. It's a commitment. It's a real commitment. Yeah. But, you know, it was an opportunity, so I took it, but it was no way to have a life. I mean, it was just... You know, you're exhausted at the end of it, but right. it's fun to teach. But uh, you know, what, traveling. Is what no courses so were you uh, teaching? I historically have taught photo one. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's my thing. I love photo one because I go in and um, I, I meet people who are often doing this for the very first time. Yeah, it's a great it's experience. Exciting. Yeah, it's yeah. really exciting. Yeah, yeah. And to so see them go from zero to like having a skill and a and a love for the medium is just really rewarding. As mm-hmm. a teacher, it's really rewarding. And they're not jaded yet. They don't think they know anything yet. That's true, <laughs> right. Yeah, except the ones who come in and tell you they've been doing it since high school and oh, they know yeah. everything about it. And then you find out that, well, no, they have no. either poor habits or yeah. or they have misinformation. And But they have the love of it, which is good. And that's, and yeah, that's, that's, the that's what makes it worthwhile, part. yeah. yeah. When did, we, I think we should uh, probably get to this this forensic photography you, you were uh, doing. When did that come up? How long after Columbia? That came up... 2005. Um, so I graduated in 98. Um, I was working for JGS. Um, and I was trying to do I, I've always done contract work here and there when I can get it. Um, I don't go shopping for it, it usually finds me. Um, so I was doing little projects, uh, different photography projects, sometimes calligraphy projects, because I used to do that actively too. Um, and I just felt like I I wanted something stable, and I had always been applying for jobs that were either art-related or photography-related and also administrative so that I could theoretically have a stable job, bring in some money, and also support the work that I did. You weren't looking for full-time teaching jobs? I wasn't. I, I had for a while right after Columbia, but because this sudden influx of lots of people who had MFAs. Yeah. I had a very hard time trying to, to locate a full-time teaching thing, and it, it just didn't work out. And yeah. after a while, I think I, I just felt like, well, I'm not showing actively. I like a low profile. I don't, I'm but not also, when living you, that part of the life. When did you become a mom? I became a mom in 2007. Oh, okay. And that, that I, we waited a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I kept thinking, well, my career is going to take off, but my career has been very piecemeal, if you want to call it a career. It's been like um, a series of beginnings and endings of things. Right. And usually, when I was younger, I used to leave positions because I felt like either I wasn't helpful to that position anymore and I wasn't really growing in it, um, or that the political climate in the place had changed and that I felt like I was you know, pushing up against a wall more often than not. And 
it's, uh, you know, I have a whole series of jobs. I've had a whole series of jobs because of that. So how did the forensics thing come up? The forensics thing came up while I was working for Joy of Giving Something, and they couldn't hire me as a full-timer. They already had one full-time person. I knew somebody who was an, a postal inspector, and she had a connection to somebody in a forensic lab and told me, well, maybe one day they'll be looking for someone. Why don't you send in a government form and you know see if you if your application will be accepted but when we say forensic i I mean at that point are we still talking about the fbi i wasn't with the fbi ever i was with the united states postal 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 inspectors okay yeah i was with their very old branch of law enforcement yeah and they have their own entire law enforcement division yes yeah Yeah, the postal inspectors are federal agents yeah and yeah yeah, and they had their own forensic labs. And That's so, how I got confused, because they're federal. They're federal. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, and I, I worked in one of their field laboratories here in New York. But you got, So you applied for the job. I applied for the job. I waited quite a while. I waited, it must have been about two years. It must have been at least a year and a half, definitely. But it must have been in total about two years from the time I made first contact with a letter and a resume mm-hmm. and then put in a formal application. Well, and this is also after 9-11, so I imagine the, the background checks and everything were probably pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, it was extensive. My file for them when I applied was probably about three quarters of an inch or an inch thick. I mean, I had to put in years and years of financial information. They mm. checked everything. Um work information, you know, personal history. I had to make myself available to them for any questioning and I had to I had to let them know who might speak for me if um if I if they needed references to contact. And then once I did get interviewed by them, I had to go down to Washington to take a practical where I had to show them that I could photograph things and I could photograph for the very first time, I photographed a fingerprint on an object. <laughs> I'd never needed to do that before. Right. And I'm being goofy and honest the way I am. I just kind of went in and it's like, you know, I really want to show you that I can do this, but I haven't photographed fingerprints on <laughs> anything before. Is that okay? Yeah. And, and they were still using film then, weren't they? Yeah, well, they were using both. They oh, were okay. just, they had just moved over to digital. But at that time, I don't, I can't speak for what it's like now. And I don't know what the Swidget group says about it, the, um, uh, the scientific working group for imaging technology. Um, they set the standards for the, what guidelines are expected in law enforcement. So I think it's all, it's all digital now, but um, it, there's a very specific chain of command that has to is. happen with the digital images, yes. and the raw files have to be stored. That was always like that. Separately. That's right. how I had to shoot everything in raw. Um, we, when we, we shot film so that um, it would be known that no changes, no adjustments had been made to the film. They wanted to see the film, and the chain of custody had to be clearly I, I noted. Chain of command. Chain yeah, chain of custody. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, at that point, when I was working, um, you still had to photograph in film on a crime scene, so that you would have this very clear record <clears throat> of what what had happened at the crime scene. Right. So, yeah, it was really exciting for me. The great thing about that job, not only that it was, it was stable, it was a place for me um, to feel like I, I had my own laboratory. I mean, they had great facilities mm. in the, the lab I was working for, but I had a great facility within that laboratory where I had my own office and I had a workspace, too. Um, and I got to control what I was doing, and I got to provide examiners with, with information that they needed to do their job. 
you know, I handled evidence and I got to learn how to use all the skills that I had from carefully working in dark rooms over the years and apply them to carefully putting together a case file and well, adding right. to it. So, so now everyone uh, listening is imagining CSI, no, bloody hands, bloody no. fingerprints on stamps. <laughs> well, we, no, we, we did have some of that. I mean, a lot of what I dealt with is, is fraud and I was trained, trained for real crime scenes. So I had FBI training. Right. I went down to Quantico for training. I had crime scene training through the postal inspectors too. And this is also after all those anthrax attacks. Too. Yeah, we had that was a concern. We had information like that coming in to protect us so yeah. that we we knew what to expect if something we were handling was a threat. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I processed was fraud. It was just so much fraud out there. There was so much that. So how does that work? What would that be like? What the fraud part? How what kind of fraud case? Like what would what would that entail? Mail fraud. If people were sending phony checks through the mail when there was a lot more mailing of checks and information back and forth, people were stealing things out of the mail. There were things being stolen out of post offices. There were bomb threats. There were you know trucks that were threatened to be blown up. There were, you know, things like that. We processed fingerprints in weird spaces like the back of tractor trailers. Hmm. There, there was a lot of theft and, and fraudulent activity going on. And I can only imagine how much that field has so changed uh, so dramatically over the years now with, I mean, I just saw this film, uh, Citizen Four, on, uh, on Edward Snowden. You know, and all yeah. the, the the dealings with you know cyber information and all this, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Like you said, you know, checks were being sent in the mail. Mm -hmm. You know, who gets a check in the mail anymore? It's mm -hmm. like you just get every directly to through the internet onto your bank, and how that's now the focus of. Uh, we have classes here at Fordham that are teaching uh, uh, people about cyber, you know, technology, you know, cyber uh, attacks, and cyber security, cyber security, and all these other things. It's like a lot of that has been removed from an actual physical object object to yes. you know this other thing yeah well that, so that field must i mean you were there at the cusp of like mm -hmm. that changeover right and it's very worrisome that there's so much tracking that is lost i mean everybody seems to feel very secure about digital tracking being yeah. a, a thing um it used to be if if you were questioning whether a check was legitimate or not you could get known handwriting samples and compare samples and experts could decide whether something right. was true or not or you know if it was questioned or not now it's it's all done digitally when i sign my name on something if i go to bj's wholesale club and get um, paper towels and i sign <laughs> off on on that machine that they use when you swipe it your credit like card nothing. i can't read what yeah. that doesn't look anything like my signature so what do people have to compare to and it's just the volume, the sheer volume of it is yeah. just so overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. So that's a little spooky. So that, in answer to your question earlier, that may be one reason why I don't have so much of a digital presence. <laughs> I, want, I keep a very low profile. <laughs> How long were you working for the post office? Just about a year and a few months. Not very long, but I had a lot of training. The, the great thing about working for the government for me was, I started to say before, the stability and it was knowing that I'd have a place to go. I had a great community there. My coworkers were wonderful. They wanted me to learn. I felt like I was onto something where, you know, I, I'd, I'd be in a place where I was helping them do a job and they were helping me understand mine better so that it was, it was like a mutual thing where we could both be useful to each other. And that was important to me. I like feeling like 
um, helpful. Um, and then also the, the training that was involved. They sent me out right away to some really specific training. And it, it felt you feel like you're valued as an employee when your employer wants you to step up into something, that there's this whole history before you came on the job, and there's a history in front of you waiting to happen. And you, you, you feel like you're a cog in the wheel, but that you're, you're needed. If that cog breaks, the system won't work anymore. And I wish I could find that again. <laughs> well, well how, how and why did it, uh, did it end? It ended because my timing was terrible. Um, <laughs> my husband and I d- decided to, to move um, further out into Queens. And we did that. And at the same time, it felt like it all happened within a, a week. So everything kind of converged. We moved... I got pregnant and my lab closed. They, they, they were talking about it for a long time that changes would be coming under this great postal transformation. And um, my laboratory, the field laboratory I was in closed. So I found a position within the postal service months later, but once I had my son and I was trying to go back to doing a full-time job, it just didn't seem doable. Hmm. So. I, I didn't continue with that job. I was um, I moved from the forensic side of things into um, a writer editor position, where I was also editing pictures for a newsletter too. Mm. So I I had a huge readership. I don't remember how many tens of thousands of people, but it was this postal internal color newsletter that was about twelve pages long. And um, I was doing the writing for that and, and uh, calling people and doing phone interviews. And, you know, I was pregnant at the time. So I, it was a struggle to try to get that all to come together. And then once my son was born, it just I couldn't be on call the way I had been. So I left. Uh, after your son was born, did you, take, did you take time off from everything? I don't know if you can call it time off. Um, it <laughs> was. True. It was. Well, I meant from like teaching and from things teaching. Like that. I did, but it wasn't because I really wanted to. It was such a struggle. Or the the way our family always worked with my husband being a motorman for transit. Explain what, yes. He works for transit, so he works on the subways. So he's a motorman, um, and he always worked nights. nights so yeah. he had such a crazy schedule that trying to keep up with a baby. And all the changes I had gone through after pregnancy and his job, it, it was just very tumultuous. So I didn't bounce the way some women do. Some women seem to have a baby and everything kind of just continues, or they just are really good at not showing it. I think maybe maybe I'm too honest <laughs> maybe that the way. Maybe the latter, yeah. I had a very bumpy few years. And I, when I wanted to go back to work, I met with a lot of resistance from people I had known before where... People would go, really? Why? You know, your husband is doing okay. Why do you want to go back to work? And I go, but I have no connection to anything but parks and mommies. <laughs> like, please, I want to go back to it's, work. So it was it's, very That tricky. is such a personal choice. People should stop trying to decide, you know, which is better for you. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Everybody, everybody, you have to do what you have to do. Everyone's yes. different in that if, respect. If sure. you're not happy, your kid's not going to be that <laughs> yeah. happy. Yeah. Exactly. That's the bottom line, really. Yeah, you know. Exactly. But yeah, I had hoped to stay with forensics for a a while. I was offered at least two, officially, at least two separate jobs with them. And um, one of them would have been the job that I'd been in, and I would have moved to D.C. But my husband had already been vetted for his job here in the city. So practically speaking, it, it was just not doable. 
And then uh, the other job I, I was asked to do, it, it killed me to turn down because I would have been a, a, a fingerprint expert. And I was really interested in that. And I had to say no. Mm-hmm. So it was really heartbreaking. Um, and in the meantime, I was still being a photographer through right. all of this. All these job changes, I tried to do little projects here and there. But I'm somebody who's had a life where I've got, I get stuck. Like I, I have some of the resources that I need, but not all of them. And so I photograph what I can, when I can, and I hope that it comes together somehow in the end. It's been, it's been tricky, though. What do you mean by that? that by resources? What do you mean you... Um, by resources, I mean like uh, a place to go to make black and white prints sometimes, like a dark room. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like having access to you guys. Right, in a school, yeah, in a school environment. To people who want to talk about art Mm -hmm. instead of being around people who are just working. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's just not having the right gear for the thing that I want to do and not maybe taking enough of an initiative to go get it. Sometimes it's purely monetary. Sometimes it's more of a practical thing. So I do projects when I can, and I I try to continue to teach because that's inspiring in itself, and I love to see other people make work. So I guess I try to do for them what I'm not able to do for myself, and maybe (laughs) that's not such a good thing. But, but teaching, we've, we've had this conversation before, teaching also helps keep you going, right? It keeps it you involved. Does. It keeps you inspired. It keeps you interested. It keeps you aware that other people have ideas of how things should look or how they want things to look. And it helps you either fig- help, it helps you figure out how to get them to see what they're really looking for. It, it's a way of guiding people, but also revealing to them what they really want to do. And that's fun for me. I remember I tried to get you down to Mercer. We had on the books a forensic photography class. It yes. was it was left over. It was from it was from before my time there, and mm-hmm. it had it hadn't run in years and years. I Aww. I tried to get you down there, but uh, it never worked out. My, Plus, I'm pretty far away from Queens too, where I work. You are, yeah. And that was the problem logistically. I just couldn't see a way around it. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't work it in. But if you think about that again, maybe we can have a conversation. Oh, I'll tell you what. I I think it would be pretty popular. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I'd love to teach people what I know. I have to brush up on a lot of it, and I'll have to find out what's changed over the years that I haven't been doing it. But I'm still in touch with a few people who might be able to get me up to date, and we'll see. Do you have um, courses lined up uh, coming up in the For, spring? Or? Mm, I don't know. You know, it's funny. Schools don't like to commit to you too far in advance. No. And so I often find out I'm going to be teaching maybe a month or a month and a half before yeah. it happens. And my nerves aren't any better for it. But, you know, it's, it's, I take what comes up when I'm able to. And contract work is the same way. So whenever I've done work for people, it's usually like, can you do this right now? And I go, well, yeah, I can fit it in and we'll see what happens. But it's, it's, a, it's a blessing and a curse, I guess. Did we mention you've taught here at Fordham? Yep. I taught here at Fordham and I loved it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I loved it. Um, the, the students are, yeah, (laughs) I'll put you on the spot. No, the, the students were great. Um, it, it was, um, it was quite an experience going up to Rose Hill and teaching digital photography because I, 
I've never formally been taught to photograph digitally by anybody. So I've always picked up stuff here and there. When Preston and I did that digital class yeah. years ago, we were talking about the two mega, megapixel camera, mm. right? Um, we were just learning how to do it. And then the people, the faculty around us didn't know how to do it. So, you know, it, we, we basically taught ourselves back then. And then the years after that, um, I've learned how to use different digital cameras from different people or on my own. And then I've learned a lot from books and little bits and pieces online here and there. So I, you know, I taught my digital photography class the way I would want to see it structured and I hope the students got something out of it but they seem to make great pictures so well, that's the same way I came to it so it's like when I was looking for someone to teach digital I figured you could do it because I know that we went through a similar process which is was like how do we do this yes. okay let's find out let's you know pick up a book talk to someone over here but I was also when I was at SVA as I mentioned previously uh, no one was talking about Photoshop. No, when no. I was at Columbia, no one was doing Photoshop. Uh, it, it was you either did it on your own or it wasn't happening. So, um, well, all right. Let's be honest. When we were at SVA, we were using either I think Unix-based drawing oh, yeah, programs no. or something. Were you, you really? Oh yeah. Was, wow. Was, I remember green screen kind of uh, drawing <laughs> tools. Or yeah. Things like it that. was. It was kind of. So, but we taught ourselves. Wow. And so when you come into the dark into the classroom, it's like that's what you bring with you. And I think yeah. that is often more help because you've actually put it to the test. Yes. You've used it. You haven't just yeah. learned it. You know, theoretically, you've actually. Figure it out, right. know, which I think is important. Right. Yeah, I, I found some of my old SVA work on, uh, I think it was like, what are they, five-inch floppies? Or oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. those. Yeah. yeah. So very old. Yes. Yeah, so very old. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, you also were, um, when did the, when were you part of the book? You were part of a, a book on Landmarks? Oh, Landmarks of New York. Landmarks that of was New York. by, let's see if I pronounce her name right. It's Barbara Lee's Diamondstein Spielvogel. That's it. I That's have it written it. down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that it's was... A SUNY Press, uh, State University of New York Press. Okay, and it, it used to be, um, I think, the first edition where my pictures were in it. Um, not the first edition of the book, but the first version that I had pictures in was Monticelli Press. Hmm. So that was from a few years ago. Oh, okay. And a, a bunch of us had pictures in it. Um, or people that I've, I've known. I know Christine Osinski was the one who connected me to that project. And so I, I know Kai McBride has pictures, has in, pictures there. in there. Yeah. I, and I think maybe some Cooper people do as well. And I can't, I'm not thinking of names right now. But okay. Yeah, no, I was just curious yeah. when, when that happened, how that came about. Yeah, that came about because of my connection with Christine. And um, she thought I'd be interested in doing it as a project and thought I might be interested in some um, of the landmarks in Queens. And it was, it was fun to do in, in a way. I mean, I loved seeing the Bound House. I think out of all my pictures there, which are pretty dry, if you, if you look at them, they're pretty matter of fact. I, I worked on a similar project. It was um, Churches of Harlem. Mm-hmm. And and same thing. Uh, of all the photos they selected, they were the, basically the most you know straight on upfront. Here's the church kind mm-hmm. of photo. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what this was too. It yeah. seems like everything got very democratic suddenly mm-hmm. when when the pictures <laughs> ended up in the book. And the one picture I have that I really loved from that group was the the Bound House in Queens. And I didn't take it as a straight on picture because when I saw it from the street, it had snowed. So there was snow on the the ground and there was snow around the building. And it, I took the side of the building, which made a really interesting shape. And there was um, 
hurricane fence, you know, the wire fence running alongside it. And I thought it just looked wonderful. And then when I went to the front of the house and realized how long and low the building was, and it just wasn't appealing. I was shooting everything with that Mamiya C330, so it's a square format. It doesn't do nice things to long, <laughs> horizontal <laughs> structures. So shooting it from the side made sense, and I was happiest with that out of that group of pictures that ended up in the book. Mm. So... Yeah, but yeah. there were there were interesting places to go to because of that project. I would do that again if it ever came up. And you're also part of our, you know, if it ever comes back, our traveling panorama show, right? Yes, and that yeah. was fun to do too. And yeah. thank you for organizing that. Oh that yes, po the portion that was at Mercer. Right. Yes. yes. I did the the last show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, that that was it was fun to participate in that. I I loved using that camera while I had it, and then later on, I just didn't get enough chances to use it, and it seemed like it somebody should be using it, and I ended up selling it. So yeah, we were talking about the the Panorama camera. The yes, Rumba that Thomas yeah. Roma built, and I I when I left Cooper. I remember I, I bought a Leica when I left Cooper. I had saved my money so that I could buy my first Leica, and I bought a used M5. But I also bought Tom Roma's camera, and I, rem I remember buying that from him on the steps of Cooper Union. He brought it to me. I gave him a check. And Do you know yeah. who bought your camera? Yeah, Kai McBride. Tom escorted him to my house, and he bought it from me at home. Try to yeah. keep it in the family. Yes, definitely. <laughs> And he's making good use of it. Yeah. He is, yeah. He's, oh, he's that's great. Completely reconfigured he's doing it. Doing amazing uh, yeah, things with yeah, it. Yes. Really interesting mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I did the same thing with the the Siciliano. I mm -hmm. had both cameras, the Siciliano six by nine and the Panorama. I still have the Panorama because I still have ideas for it. Mm -hmm. But I had for my color six by nine, I basically which is, you know, one by one and a half, mm -hmm. I've gone digital with the color work. So mm -hmm. So I wanted, and I, I didn't want to just hold on to it because I loved it, because I did love it. I mean, yes. you can't not love that camera, but I wanted somebody who would use it. Yes. Yeah. And it's bad for the camera if it just sits if there. Just I mean, sits yeah. there, the lubrication yeah. goes away and yeah, it, yeah, the yeah. mechanics of it just right. suffer for not being yeah. used. Yeah. So. so I, I sold mine to Inbal, Inbal Abrazio. Oh, really? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. She was thrilled. That's great. <laughs> She's also making good use of it. Yeah. That's what should happen with cameras. That's right. <laughs> um, any final uh, thoughts, questions? What's happening now? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> are you making work? Are you, yeah, I mean, I know that you were working on calligraphy very seriously. I was. I do that for a while, for a while too. You know, I keep meaning. Oh, you have the most amazing handwriting. Yeah, handwriting. I oh. mean, it's like when, an, when a letter you. comes, I think you're one of the few people that still sends us letters. But I yeah. love uh, sending letters. I know. I mean, it's nice getting mail. It's, I, it's I, I wish I could make more time to send things out to people. I think we need to re like revive uh, mail art. We should. You know, Let's start do sending. M-A-I-L art. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> M-A-I-L. Sorry. Uh, post, postal art? I don't know what they call yeah. it. But, um, you know, there was that whole movement of people who sent... Made with photo, they would make postcards out of their photographs and yes. send them around. I thought that was a great thing. Yeah, you know, to get that in the mail. It's like that. now you just get the bing in your email, in your inbox, and it's not the same. <laughs> it's you know? not the same. And usually somebody either wants something or needs money. Yeah, right? Right. that's the problem. So you yeah. know, that's not yeah. so good. That's, um, yeah, we can do that. You want to do something postal related? I'm sure. happy to. Yeah. Sure, as long as you don't do a forensics thing on no, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's okay. Right. We'll right. pat you down some other day. All right. Thank you. Oh, well, that's a good note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Laura, for, You're uh, welcome. for spending all this time with us. Thanks, Anibal, for uh, coming Glad back. Glad to be back. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Oh, bye. Bye.